Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. My name is Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined as always by assistant editor Andrew Keats. Hello, Andy. Scott. Managing editor Sarah Libby. Hello. Coming up on the show today, we have a special discussion set up with San Diego City Council President Georgette Gomez. It's kind of a mashup of our Voice of San Diego at home live stream show and the podcast. So we're going to be talking and taking questions. From a lot of the audience, Gomez was proud of the city's budget that was passed this week. She says it, quote, plants the seeds of a multi-year effort to root out systemic inequities. But activists who were calling to defund the police were furious about it. We're going to take many of their questions and others for Gomez. But first, let's lay the foundation so that everyone can understand the budget. We're talking about the fiscal year 2021 budget uh, for the city of San Diego. So that's the uh, allocation, the sort of plan for how they'll spend money or allow city staff to spend money from July of this year until next year, uh, and um, and then they'll have to do it again next next spring. Now, with all of the financial uh, upheaval that's going on, they're going to have to do this every quarter, which is a little different than normal, right, Andy? Yeah, well, they're going to bring quarterly monitoring reports. Typically, the the, re- the regular budget cycle has like a mid-year revise where you, you say, you know, we were projecting to spend X amount of dollars and we were projecting to bring in Y amount of dollars, but it didn't quite work out that way. Usually they end up in the mid-year having uh, spent less than they had projected and that gives them a little bit of cash to work with. They, you know, maybe a city council member can can get a, a playground in their district uh, a, you know, can free up spending for that or some new pilot program or something along those lines. You usually see that in the mid-year. This year, because things are so volatile, because things are so uncertain, they're going to bring uh, quarterly updates, um, which, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to change spending on a quarterly basis, but we are going to have, you know, more uh, regular check-ins with how the budget is working out. Yeah, so remember, budgeting is a... Um a plan. You're you're saying I'm going to get this much money. I think from uh, hotel revenues. Uh, we're going to get this much money from property tax. We're going to get this much money from sales tax. But that's all a guess. And so what you're talking about there is if that guess is too low or too high, they'll adjust as they go along. And so what we're talking about now is they've looked at the budget for next year and they think, oh man, we think this is going to be. $350 million less than we thought it was going to be. We're going to have to make these big changes. So there was a big, uh, a lot of nervous uh, sentiment before they went through this process because of how the COVID crisis has uh, has wreaked havoc on um, public affairs budgets all across the country. But they did get $250 million from the, um, from the federal government, which turns out to be, uh, have been quite timely, really, right? Uh, uh, quite helpful to making the budget work. This year, now let's talk about specifically San Diego Police Department. Their budget in this plan 
is $566 million, a $27 million increase from last year. There's actually 21 fewer positions, jobs in it. But there's some things to keep in mind with that, right? Yeah. So uh, the city in every department, police included, budgets a lot of vacancies. Um, Sometimes that's because they uh, anticipate filling those vacancies over the course of the year. Uh, Often they don't. You know, you you do sometimes see some like planned vacancies. The the city refers to that as uh, excess equity at the end of the year. It usually ends up creating a little little, uh, pot of money they can spread around in the mid-year revise or or the following year. Um, But so they have 20, 21 fewer positions included in the budget, but that does not mean 21 people have lost jobs. Uh, in fact, of those 21 eliminated positions, only 16 of them are filled right now, and all 16 of those people will just be transferred to other vacant positions. So uh, 21 fewer positions, no one's losing any jobs, but they are spending $27 million more dollars than they did last year, uh, and that increase is attributable to... Uh, salaries and benefits that uh, have, you know, raises basically that have been pre-negotiated, negotiated with city unions, the police officers association and the municipal employees association, uh, white collar workers in the police department. Um, so the $27 million increase from last year's budget owes to the people who are still employed making more money than they did last year. So, uh it's not uncommon that the police department's budget has been going up year after year after year. Uh, it, was there any sense at the beginning of this process that there was any pressure to lower it uh, or any kind of uh, effort to um, maybe say the police didn't deserve that, uh, uh, those salary and benefit increases or uh, anything like that that we saw in coming into this budget cycle? So the budget cycle begins with every council member issuing a memo from their department saying, here are my budget priorities. Uh, Often it can be programs that they'd like to see implemented. Sometimes it can be specific projects in their district that they would like to see funded. Um, And none of those memos included anyone saying, we should try to cut the amount of money that we're spending uh, on police, either in absolute terms or in relative terms as a share of the general fund. Um, and uh, I went back through the budget review hearings, uh, and that didn't come up either in, in those hearings. I, I don't know, Sarah, can, can you recall, ha- has there been um, in recent history, whether this budget cycle or previously, anything that you would call a general pressure on, to spend less money on police in the city of San Diego pri- prior to the last week or two? No, and in fact, it's actually bizarrely been the opposite. And even before kind of the events of this week, I've always been, you know, struck by how over and over again, when the department has been confronted with issues, um, whether it's, you know, racial profiling studies that show the department uh, treats black residents differently, um, or any of these things we've seen spring up over the years, the response has typically been, well, we need to spend more and increase pay more because that way we'll be getting higher quality officers and we can retain good officers and we spend all this money to train them and then they leave for other departments. And so over and over again, uh, 
the answer has always seemed to be spend more and pay them more. Yeah, the 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 funding question that has faced San Diego City Council and as it relates to SVPD has been a recruitment and retention crisis was the the buzzword that we always heard about that we were uh, trying to we were trying really hard to recruit uh, better applicants and more applicants uh, and at the same time we were trying to retain our existing officers um, and that it was part of a long term goal to get staffing levels high enough that we could return to a style of policing that the city of San Diego had formerly been formerly been known for known for and has to some degree abandoned called community policing that if staffing levels reached a certain point that the officers would be able to spend more time being proactive uh, and being members of their community getting to know people and less spot time just responding to calls that uh, service levels had fallen far enough that basically they only had time to react to calls as they came in, which isn't what we wanted. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of why it's been so shocking to some of us who have watched these things play out for years to see the speed at which people have embraced this police review board reform and this defund the police movement because for so long, the only conversation around how do you fix these problems was pay them more and do more to retain them over the long term. And it was it was bipartisan, I would say, too. Yeah. It, you know, wh- whether you were, you know, build yourself as a criminal justice reformer or not, there seemed to be general buy-in that this was the right set of priorities. Increasing staffing levels to get back to community policing was uh, a shared principle, it seemed. Yeah. So I, let's talk about for, for how this actually works. The mayor proposes his budget. Here's how much money we think we're going to get next year. Here's how I would do it. Uh, the independent budget analyst who works for the city has a staff of people. They go through it. They, produ- they produced a very long report with a lot of recommendations, basically all along the effort of how do we can we avoid some of these uh, library closures, some of these rec centers and other things that were in trouble because of the deficit. Uh, and uh, basically all of those recommendations were implemented, right? Yeah, that was the basis of the city council's motion. When they when they voted to to pass the budget, they started with the IBA recommendations, which included you know restoring a number of cuts that the mayor had proposed uh, to to help make the budget work. Uh, and then they added a few of their own. The few things that they added of their own were an office of race and equity that was proposed by Councilwoman Monica Montgomery. We had her on the show last week to talk about it, uh, and also a program that would. Uh, be like a non-police, non-law uh, enforcement outreach team to uh, the uh, the unsheltered population to try to get them into services. Um, that is work that is to some degree, uh, hand, well, not, not to some degree, that is largely handled by SDPD right now that would now be handled by a different entity. Andy, before we get into that conversation with Georgette, uh, is there anything else we should know about the police budget and how they decided to to do things? Yeah, so we talked about the fact that the budget was increasing by $27 million, which was attributable to uh, salary and benefits increases that had been negotiated with city unions. Um, just just to, to go back in time a little bit, in recent years, the SDPD budget has been roughly in line with a third of the city's general fund. So the, the city's general fund that the council really has the ability to 
to maneuver and make discretionary decisions with is about $1.5 billion. And uh, the STPD budget is, is, you know, in the about $500 million o- over time. So that, that's basically, that's the largest share of the general fund by a lot. And it's pr- been pretty steady in that one third of general fund spending. Um, now that share, so not only did the, the budget increase by $27 million this year, the share of the general fund actually increased more than that. So it, it was almost 37% this year. Um, that's because um, the, gener- the, the budget went down this year. So in previous years, the SDPD budget has been increasing, but so has the city's overall budget. This year, the SDPD's budget increased, but the city's budget decreased. So that combination allowed the, the, you know, this is actually the largest share of the city's budget going to SDPD in recent history. Um, that said, the increase from, this, from last year to this year um, in SDPD's budget was actually at a lower rate than it had been in previous years. Previous years, it had incre- been increasing at about 8%, and this year it increased at only 5%. Um, so, and, and then just for a little bit more context, that $100 million demand that the, the city, that the activists were making, they wanted to cut the budget by $100 million. That would have taken the budget to roughly $466 million, um, or about 30% of the city's general spending. Spending, And, you know, I think maybe it was perceived as a radical demand, and, and maybe it was, but $466 million would have been almost exactly the amount of money that SDPD spent in 2018. So uh, this cut would have taken us to the wild, wild, crazy days of uh, the second year of the Donald Trump administration in terms of how much we would spend on police. Okay, we are going to take a quick break on the other side. We will talk with City Council President Georgia Gomez and take questions from our live stream audience. Stay with us. I'm Adriana Heldes, and I'm a producer at Voice of San Diego. When I started working here at Voice, and whenever we hire a new reporter, we get a debrief of the entire region. It's a quick but useful explanation of some stuff most people in San Diego don't know about. Our CEO, Scott Lewis, walks us through things we need to know in order to follow all the in-depth reporting Voice of San Diego does, like how San Diego gets its water, how local government works, why there are different types of schools, and who decides major things that affects us as San Diegans. These things help us understand the bigger picture and the drama that's happening in San Diego every day. And then we realized that everyone else should know this stuff too. So we started a project called San Diego 101. It's a video series that explains it all. Our videos will help you understand how our region works. And you can watch all five episodes now at vosd.org sd101. Again, that's vosd.org sd101. San Diego City Council President Georgette Gomez has joined us uh, to take a lot of your questions and to talk to us about the budget uh, that was passed this week from the City of San Diego and the City Council. Uh, We've got a lot of questions that have already come in. First of all, thank you for taking the time 
Um, you are also running for Congress. You've had a, quite a week, quite a, quite a few weeks. You're dealing with a massive deficit, uh, civil unrest, a lot of concerns. Um, is there uh, there's any, a, pa- any... a pandemic also? I don't know. There's also that the pandemic yeah. has happened. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard about that. Um, pretty big, pretty big time. Um, any, any, um, uh, anything you want to start with just before we, we start getting into some of these questions about all these crises? Yeah, that's a loaded question right there. Um, it's, uh, I have to say 2020 is becoming, uh, quite an interesting year for me. It's, uh, definitely challenging my, my, my leadership to the max. Um, I don't think I've ever experienced what we're going through right now at a personal level, as you laid out the pandemic. Uh, before uh, before the pandemic, I was wrapping up my the primary congressional. Um, I thought I was going to have a little bit of time to kind of uh, ground reground myself and uh, start 2020. Uh, but soon after the pandemic exploded, and needed to focus on that, and then uh, and then we needed to bring home the the biggest deal that we have ever seen, at least through my my time, San Diego State. Uh, so that. That also took uh, some attention that I needed to focus on. And then the, the situation that we're dealing with right now in terms of the, 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 the issues related to our African-American community, but also just overall our underserved communities that are is something that I've been working towards my entire life and really reshifting. So there's a lot. There's a lot that has been going on in my life and, uh, and within all of that, running for Congress. So uh, you can see that I've been a bit busy. Yeah, I almost forgot the largest and most complex uh, uh, land use deal in the city of San Diego's history. Just, just that. Is that the only also. time in your life you've ever forgotten the stadium deal, Scott? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. This week, the city of San Diego passed its budget. Basically, the city has to project how much money it thinks it will get for the next year, and then allocate how much the city staff can spend out of that for what purposes. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that came up right after this was a very uh, strong frustration with uh, the lack of response or lack of taking the response from the from the community about defunding the police. Will Rodriguez Kennedy, um, the chair of the Democratic Party in the city of San Diego uh, or in the region, he said, quote, the system is rigged against reform movements in context. He said he was extremely disappointed. He said the strong mayor system without a strong council is basically a city level dictatorship. Uh, it was some pretty harsh words for for how that went. Do you feel like the mayor acted as a dictator and and you were sort of a victim of this process? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize it in such way. I mean, I definitely think there's something to say about the strong mayor, strong council form of government. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what the strong council component is, and I've been fighting really hard as soon as I became the council president to really elevate that. I've been pushing on my colleagues to really focus on policy. I mean, we are the policy um, arm of of government, and so we really need to drive that and definitely something that I've been pushing hard on, making sure that we're doing that. But um, in terms of the budget, I mean, the budget is, is 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 a really critical document that we we take a lot of time in developing it. We started the budget conversations on April 30th. Uh, that led to us looking at every single department, right? And, and you got to remember, this particular budget was different than any other budget because 
Normally, we get the breakdown of every single department uh, line by line. That didn't happen this time around because it was created under the circumstances of the pandemic. So we had less resources available to us in a shorter time, most challenging budget ever. Um, the, the problem in relation to the strong mayor form of government is in order for the council to push back, you need to have a strong council to be able to push that uh, on that. And uh, that's not quite what we have right now. I mean, uh, we could have had the conversation about defunding the PD if need be. And trust me, I was looking into it. Um, I checked in with some of my colleagues, but uh, the, there wasn't really a true path. Now, what the outcome of all of that is, is that I am looking at it. I requested just like council member Montgomery has requested of the IBA is to give us a little bit of a stronger analysis to bring back a, a conversation of what that could look like. Um, removing funding from any department has an outcome uh, and we have to understand what that is. So just, uh, the, I know that a lot of people called in the day of and the week before, but um, you know, we, we got out, we, we couldn't, even, even though if we wanted to remove a hundred million or 50 million or a, a million from the budget, we need to understand where is it coming from and how that impacts the totality of the work that they do and they're real okay with that. Uh, that's a conversation that we haven't had whatsoever. You put out a budget memo uh, at, the, at the start of this process outlining your priorities. You've done that in recent years. Um, that's never included from you or anyone else on the council. That's never included a call to explore spending less on police like, like that as, as a goal. Um, so I, I guess there's a, a part of the response to the, the council's decision on Monday I'd characterize as people saying um, that maybe some on the council wanted to join this movement to cut $100 million or they would have if only uh, the, they had uh, had the votes or that there was some strategic decision that, that they decided not to. But I guess what's not at all clear to me is that that's actually a priority that you share. So do you believe that cutting spending on SDPD is a priority? Is that something that should be a goal of the city council if it were able to have the votes to make it happen? I think that the goal of this whole conversation is reforming. And I've been calling for that since day one and every single, with the exception of my last budget related, my, my last budget memo, um, but every single budget, I make reference to restructuring how we're spending PD money, um, how we're hiring future PD officers. They should come from our community. And that trickles down to what is the criteria of us hiring people um, uh, that we need to reevaluate. The type of training that they have, I've been calling for restructuring since the beginning. So I think that really is a conversation that we need to have. Does that lead to less money? That's a possibility, um, but we need to look at it. Like I said, I mean, the, my, my, my focus this, this budget was restructuring how we're doing outreach to our unsheltered population. Right now, a majority of it is being funded through the neighborhood policing. I actually called out for us to remove some of the money from neighborhood policing to restructure it to a different program. Uh, we were able to get that, but it didn't come from neighborhood policing. It came from a different pot of money. But now we're starting to move a little bit on, on that on that on that uh, on that form of outreach 
So I've been doing some of that. Uh, so this this whole conversation about defunding, um, I, I think it's something that we should look at and really try to figure out what type of uh, department do we need and how much staffing do we need and what type of focus should they been having. We constantly talk about community policing. We don't really have a structure of what that is and what's needed to be able to do that. Uh, so we have a lot of things that are kind of philosophical, but we're not intentionally creating a department that is that. Is that. And I think right now the, the conversation and the, the call for defunding, I think it comes from a, a place of anger. It comes up from a place of having a, a, a systemic racist uh, system, and we have to call it for what it is. Um, and we need to change that. So my commitment is not only just about the police, it's about making sure that government is working for all our communities. And that's been the drumbeat that I've been, uh, that I've been calling for since day one when I got to, to council, and I will continue to do so. One of the um, main uh, thrust of the increase to the police department's budget, as we discussed earlier on the podcast, is the raises and the benefit enhancements for the police officers. We had a question come in here uh, along those lines. Uh, why w won't you acknowledge the budget gives the police a raise, which is the opposite of defunding? Um, do you want to address that? Do you feel like you agree with the sort of assumption we've had for many years that the police are underpaid uh, and that they need to uh, see more increases like this in order to increase the quality and availability of recruits? Well, I, I definitely know that we have plenty of, of, of evidence that we weren't keeping up with the, the, the pay. Um, and I think uh, the last, I forget when we voted to, um, to upgrade that, that contract, right, to, to really readjust the, the, the salaries, which I think it's a good thing. Now, the other piece that needs to happen within all of that we, that we haven't done is really looking at the, the, the criteria in which we're bringing people on board. And I am a strong proponent that we need to start hiring people from our communities to ensure that there's a better relationship, that, that there's a better interaction. When we're bringing people that are not from the community, the reaction is what we're getting right now. And the engagement is what we're getting right now. So that really needs to couple with pay raises as well and accountability, uh, which is something that we haven't really, uh, we, haven't, we haven't been able to get to that to that level of a readjustment to our PD. This isn't directly related to the budget, but you mentioned uh, different reforms have been your priorities over the years. One thing I've noticed in having, you know, reported on police issues for several years is, is kind of a trend. Uh, a few years ago, for instance, uh, Shelley Zimmerman, who was the police chief at the time, talked to the council about um, allowing legal pot dispensaries in the city. And she tossed out a bunch of statistics about how dangerous that would be. And no one on the council really pressed her on those statistics or followed up on them. Um, when the council discussed smart streetlights, it didn't come out publicly that the police would have access to those streetlights. Some members of the council told us they didn't even know that was the case. Um, we also reported recently that the police department told the council it implemented a bunch of reforms recommended by the Justice Department, and we didn't see any follow-up or questioning from the council on that. Do you feel like the council is doing 
all it can to be, you know, aggressive and effective as sort of a check on the police or as an oversight group? Yeah, I mean, that a lot of those conversations uh, at times do come to the neighborhood policing, to the neighborhood, uh, to the livable neighborhoods and uh, committee, uh, public safety committee. That's where the conversations need to occur. This goes back to this goes back to the beginning question, this form of government that we have. Uh, there's there's only so much and we're trying to figure out how to how to how do we legislate PD right oversight. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's how that legislation gets implemented. And uh, the council doesn't have a role in implementation. It is the mayor. We can we can express our opinions on the implementation side of things. We can express our disagreement and push on other ways. But at the end of the day, the, the follow-up and how that gets implemented is under the mayor's jurisdiction. And uh, we have very little very little role within all of that. So that really is a lot of the frustration that, that I'm encountering in terms of the, the the engagement of really creating a true transparent and accountable police department in the relationship of, of what it means between the council and the mayor. Uh, there was a, a question, a couple of questions that have come in so far uh, about um, the amount of public comment uh, at the um, council hearing. Hours and hours of frustration of people um, asking about this decision. And um, and I think here, uh, Lydia S. Martinez puts it, you should, um, it, it felt like they, it wasn't really acknowledged, uh, you know, that there wasn't an opportunity taken, as she says, to say that their demands were seriously considered and debated, but did not make sense to go that route right now. Was there a missed opportunity in that forum to explain and address why we were at that stage of the budget. You know, you heard them. Here's here's how to understand how things work a little bit better. And here's what we're going to do in the future. Did you miss an opportunity to 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 do that? Um, perhaps. I mean, maybe we should have uh, engaged differently and explained where we were in the day of what it looked like. Um, yeah. But I don't think that that would have changed how people felt. I think people were really wanting to us do what they were asking us to do. Um, the fact that that didn't happen, it, it, I don't think it would have mattered how we would have engaged. I think that message was not getting through just because the action didn't happen. So could have, could I manage or even any council member, could they have uh, uh, engaged differently? Yeah, we could have, uh, but I also don't, don't think it, it would have made any difference uh, just because there's there's just that sentiment of anger of frustration of uh of not really uh believing in government and i think uh when you you're at that level how, how do you have a a productive conversation so for me my intention is i needed to create that space uh to let people um vocalize their 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 comments um i and i fought really hard in making that happen uh, normally, we, we have other council presidents that would have managed the situation completely different. And I definitely was hearing from, from, from folks that they, they would have liked to have a shorter hearing uh, or have it me control it more. And I just didn't want to do that um, because I think it's important to let people express their, you know, their opinions as frustrated as they feel. I think that, that is there's some validation to that. 
Um, so, um, so we're, we're working, we're working. Uh, so I, I just don't know if it would have, if it would have changed the narrative afterwards or during, I think, uh, people were really wanting us to do what they were asking us to do the day of, and it's just something that there's, there's a lot to it. Um, and we're, I'm hoping that we can have that conversation today to really express what that is and, and why that couldn't happen then, uh, the day of. Council President, uh, the conversation around uh, police reform and criminal justice in San Diego is moving very fast. Um, it has been a, a, a major topic uh, in the city and at Voice of San Diego for, for years, um, but the, the change that we've seen just in the last two weeks is probably more than we have saw in the two years previous to that. Um, and something like defund the police, as I started with before, wasn't even on the table, um, and, and now and, and now here we are talking about it. Um, and so I've had to catch up, play catch up and, and try to understand specifically what the calls for defunding the police uh, are at their root. And I, I would say the, the most basic and the least controversial, controversial uh, interpretation is a request to reimagine what we need a police force to do and how many jobs we are currently asking the police to do that are not uh, in the core group of things that we need somebody who uh, is armed and has the ability to arrest you to do. Um, and so as you work through the department's uh, nearly you know, 2,000 employees, you might get to some really difficult calls around uh, whether we want police to do that or what we don't. But there would probably be, I imagine, some low-hanging fruit, um, some some thoughts that maybe reasonable people could agree aren't the best the best roles for police officers. And I thought one really interesting outcome on the budget was that the mayor's budget, his initial proposal, included uh, ending the police department funding for the Star Pal program. This is the Police Athletic League. It's a it's like a community outreach after school program. Police officers uh, working with sports and mentoring with at risk youth serves about three thousand at risk youth, um, and it's an independent nonprofit. But they have seven employees at that independent nonprofit who are SDPD. Uh, members of the San Diego Police Department. Six of them are sworn officers, about a $1.5 million. The council actually proposed adding that back into the budget um, to take that $1.5 million and spend it to continue funding that program with police officers as employees of the city uh, working with youth. I wonder if there was an ideological commitment to the defund the police movement and a, a belief that it's time to reimagine who should be doing certain jobs and whether police are the right folks. It seems to me that the Star Pal program might have been a good place to, to have that conversation. And yet um, the city council, not the mayor, the city council decided that that was a priority. Um, again, I want to stress that this is a program that serves at-risk youth. I've not heard anyone complain about the program or say that the program is, is, uh, is bad in any way. But um, if you're committed to the idea of defunding the police, why not spend that $1.5 million through the Parks and Rec Department instead of through the San Diego Police Department? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. And, and I don't know if the Star 
Health program is uh, is the place to start cutting um, and or, or restructuring it right in terms of where where it should be housed um, and sh and who should be running that program. Mind you, the reason and the rationale behind the Star program and and trying to restore it is because it is a good program that is doing good things for the community. Um, so is that worth investing? There's a good argument to say yes. It's it's got positive outcomes. So why cut something that is positive? Um, is it, it, can we do more with that amount of money if we were to really rethink it and reimagine it? That's a possibility, but we haven't had that opportunity to really have those conversations. And uh, it, 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 am I a, a supporter of reimagining how we do policing and the structure of all of that? Yes, I am 100% behind it. I've been pushing for that since day one to that extent that I am a firm believer that public safety should have a different, that there should be a different uh, understanding of what that is in our communities. I've been saying to the council that public community public safety can be completely different if we were to look at it from that perspective is how we design communities. It's what we allow to be built in communities. It's about really investing in the community groups that are wanting to do good things for their community um, and, and what that looks like. Um, it's not just PD uh, focus, but we haven't had those conversations at all um, at the city at the city hall ever. Um, I think this is the first time that we're acknowledging that we need to re-envision. And I don't think, um, and, and, and I just to be truthful, I don't think everybody is in that same wavelength. Uh, but I do think that there is an opportunity to push um, I, and I do believe that there is an opportunity to look at the current PD structure uh, with a closer lens and really start re-envisioning what that looks like. But I have, that also includes the community being part of that because I tell you, one move has a domino effect. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to be cautious, but we need to be mindful of that and what that is and be aware that if we move one thing, this is what it means to the community. And that that's not saying anything positive or negative, but we need to be uh, more intentional about this conversation. It just doesn't happen over 10 hours of public hearing. We really have to look at it for what it is and really start having those conversations, which I'm hoping that we will have. There, was, uh, there were two things in the budget uh, that were new, uh, even despite a budget deficit. Well, there's a few things that were new, but um, two that really stood out. One is uh, the Office of Race and Equity. This was proposed by uh, Councilwoman Monica Montgomery and almost immediately endorsed by the mayor and got into the budget. Uh, it will, um, as you put it, confront systemic racial inequities. Uh, what exactly would it do? What 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 are what are those employees? And, and the city going to do in that office. Right, so there's there's a lot. I mean, that that to me is a very exciting commitment that we were able to to get and to really start. Uh, what What is the intention behind it? The intention behind it is really to, to and this is where, I mean, I think Monica and myself, Council Member Montgomery and myself are trying to state to people, look, um, our commitment to social equity is, is in our core. It's who we are as people. It's, you can look at our track records and, and it's there and that has not changed. 
So the intention behind this department, this new office, is really to look at our system as a city, um, even outside of PD, and say, are we really making decisions from an equity lens, from a race-related lens? And if we're not, let's start readjusting that. And I think the conversation about the budget um, is, is part of that. When we propose cuts or when the mayor is starting to create the, the, the budget and he's proposing all these different cuts, are, are they being done from an equity lens? Are they being done from a, from a racial lens? And, and I can say that honestly, every single year, we have to start with the same fight, which is this time around, we started by eliminating one of the libraries in my district, which is really critical. Uh, never heard until I saw it on paper uh, that that was being proposed. So I had to fight to restore that closure. Uh, the library hours, I kept saying, does it make sense to make a straight out cut to every single library hour? Or should we be looking at the, 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 the libraries that need to keep open because that's only the that's only the the only place that our community members have uh, the ability to go and have access to the resources that the librarian provides versus a more affluent community that might not need it as much. So these are conversations that we need to have. Um, con we're constantly having a fight about making sure that uh, we are spending equitably. Uh, north of the eight, south of the eight, in terms of road improvements, we're not quite there yet. Uh, we have a climate action plan that calls for equity. Uh, we're implementing it, but I have to say that it's not being, in, the implementation is not being done through an equity lens. So the intention of this dis department and what we're envisioning is to really look at everything that we do from that lens. And if we're not achieving it, then we need to readjust. And that includes the PD, that includes how we spend the budget, that includes how our park and rec are efficient, our libraries are efficient, um, and uh, everything that we do uh, in terms of uh, the operations of the city as a whole. And I think it's very significant and it's a huge success that we were able to get it. It's just the beginning. I mean, there are other cities that have over 20 staffers on the department um, obviously, we're starting with three, um, but race and equity is very critical in how we are um, creating our government. And I think what we're seeing right now on the streets, it's really a sentiment of we continue to not really address the racial issues that we have in this society. We're continuing to see the pressures that our brown and black communities have been facing over the decades, uh, continuing to live below poverty and that never changes. So that pressure is boiling and there's an explosion of that. So the system that we all depend on has not been equitable and it's not been equitable to people of color. So it is time that we start centering that conversation as we as we make decisions as, as, as a city government and the intention of this department is to really look at it from that lens and there's a lot of a lot of I'm excited because it's going to bring different different lenses to the to the city. And I'm only hoping that the future council takes into account those changes that this office will call for, because it's very critical. You mentioned earlier uh, one of your big goals for the police department is hiring officers who come from the community. 
And that seems like a goal that would likely carry over um, to this new office as well, ensuring that city officials look like the the makeup of the community that they're serving. Um, But the city, uh, like most agencies in the state, um, isn't allowed to take things like gender or race into account when it's making hiring decisions because of um, a state constitutional amendment and Shirley Weber is leading an effort uh, to put a measure on the ballot that would overturn that, you know, essentially a ban on affirmative action. Is that something that you support? Oh, most definitely. I think it's extremely critical. Um, We need to make race at every single level of government. I think uh, historically we have ignored it. Um, And uh, in order for us to really address the systemic um, racist um, decisions that have been made historically um, intentionally by redlining communities and continue to not really address those issues. We really need to get to the core, to the root of, uh, of, the, of the problem. And uh, in order for government to really get there, we need to have the tools to be able to do this. So for me, it's really critical that, that we, we, we are able to do the, the ability to do these types of conversations and this new way of engaging as an elected to make the decisions that we need to do. So it's a critical, it's a critical initiative that, that Dr. Shirley Weber is pushing forward, one that would be very transformative in how we, we started truly lifting our brown and black communities. There's been some comments here uh, from the public uh, asking essentially when um, they might be able to, you might be able to uh, consider implementing some of these uh, ideas that you're now exploring uh, through Councilwoman Monica Montgomery's budget request or IBA request to uh, look into the city, the SDPD budget for potential reductions, um, essentially realigning police. Um, that but that IBA request, which you said earlier that you support as well, um, what is the, like a reasonable timeline that that report could come back and that the city council could, depending on on what it says and whether you can marshal the votes to support it, what would be a reasonable timeline to start implementing some of those changes? Because you know I, I think there's still, uh, judging by the comments here, quite a bit of uh, raw feeling that um, they you know people felt ignored and that the process was over by the time they showed up. Yeah, so let me, let me, I'll, I'll answer that, but let's, let's talk about people feeling ignored. And let me tell you what, what Council Member Montgomery and myself were doing the weekend leading to Monday. Uh, I spent literally Saturday, Sunday, Friday, and Thursday trying to figure out is there a path, what, what if we are to bring a proposal, a change proposal to the PD budget, what would that look like? We couldn't get there. Um, and it's not because we didn't try, but we just couldn't get there. Uh, there wasn't a straight path to say, okay, we're going to remove $10 million and it's going to come from this because there, we needed more time. Um, it, like I said, this is, this is a department that also is represented by labor. There's union, there's union outcomes, right? So it takes a lot of conversation. If we are to remove one department, if we are to remove, um, the usage, the, 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 the form on which they're um, engaging with, with protesters, gassing or using rubber bullets. Let's say that we say no more rubber bullets uh, for the PD, right? What is that cost? 
I don't know what that cost would be, but that's taking something that they're allowed to utilize. Does that require a meet and confer? Possibly, yes. Uh, so the conversation was very, we just didn't have time to be able to do what we wanted to do. Um, but we definitely looked at it because we knew the ask was coming. Um, it was already preempted. So we knew it was coming. So we were looking, we spent a whole, uh, the entire weekend with our staff and they were combing through that. We just, we just couldn't, we, we couldn't figure that out in that short period of time. So I really want people to understand that we did look at it to be able to have a response on Monday, but we just couldn't make it happen. And then there's the political aspect of it, right? Um, not all my council, not all my, not all my council colleagues believe that we should do that. Um, if we would have done that, I needed to make sure that I was that I had my my override veto override because also the mayor expressed that if we were to touch the budget on PD, he would have vetoed our budget. Um, and I had that conversation with him, and he was pretty clear. So I knew that it was going to be vetoed. So I knew that I needed to have six council members to override that veto. I didn't have that. So at my commitment to making sure that we are addressing racial and racial disparities in this city, my commitment to equity, I, we needed to make a decision. So it was a hard one, but it was a decision that we needed to make. I'm not interested in making political, theoretical, uh, spectacles and say, hey, I'm just going to vote no and not really advance the conversation. By us creating the Office of Racial Equity, it's a significant thing for the for the for this particular conversation that I really don't want people to miss. It's really significant by me moving some money to restructure on how we do homeless outreach uh, to something like what PAP does that is actually non-PD attached, that is social worker, is centered on the um, people outreach, um, that's pretty significant. Um, the, the fact that we are addressing all these the little things that are impacting people's ability to have access to better opportunities, such as Wi-Fi access, is pretty significant that it's going to impact some people in a major way. It not, might not be that huge, but we were able to move the needle and it's something that we're going to continue pushing. Um, so I really want people to understand that that we, we we were not ignoring it. We really worked really hard in trying to figure out, okay, if we bring that change on Monday, what does it look like? We didn't know what that would look like. We couldn't get there. And then second, I knew that the mayor was going to veto it. That was no question. And I just we just didn't have the support. So we needed to figure out, okay, do we have the battle for the sake of having the battle or do we strategize me and Monica and trying to figure out what can we do now to plant that seed to continue moving forward? And that was what we decided to do because it's that important for us to really push and we'll continue to do so. Now going to the timeline, we just did the request. I, I communicated my request to the IBA yesterday. Monica did it the day before. Uh, we're talking to them. I don't know what the timeline is right now. The IBA has been working really hard. They're actually taking some time off right now. Um, we're going to regroup next week to talk to them to figure out what that looks like and also create a. Would that would it be fair to to would it be fair to say that mid year revise would be the most likely first opportunity? 
I, I would say so. I'm hoping sooner because also one of the things that we've been discussing uh, related to the budget is doing some sort of quarter a quarter budget um, just because of the economic uh, uh, the, the the crisis that we're in as well. So we have talked about that. I don't know if that's something that we're going to be doing. I'm hoping that we do. Uh, so it could be sooner. Um, and uh, if we do do that, we're already prepping. I mean, the the what the idea of us looking at the at the at the budget related to PD is to start really prepping to whenever that really happens, whenever the door opens to the budget, we we're we're going to be a little bit more. Um, we're going to be ready to move it forward. Okay, let's uh, do a quick question here, and then I have a follow up. One of your council uh, colleagues. Well, actually, first of all, you did just kind of say something really interesting. There are six uh, Democrat. Uh, members on the city council, members of the Democratic Party. This was a super majority. Everybody was on the left pretty excited about. Um, but you said there you didn't have the votes to override the, the mayor's concern on, on protecting the police. Who, who uh, wouldn't have been with you on that? I, I just did it the six votes. Okay. Fascinating. All right. We have this question here. Uh, it says, I'd like to know the status and priorities of the negotiations for the next Memorandum of Understanding with the uh, Police Officers Association, the Union of Police Officers. Uh, is that deal now in uh, etched for a couple of years or? No. So right now the city is going through um, negotiations with all our six unions at the city of San Diego. We started by we were going to do some increases, uh, but because of the status of the economy that got taken, uh, what we decided to do is just do... Um, some healthcare uh, um, flex proposal that is less than what anybody wanted, but that's the only uh, agreement that we agreed upon. Um, the POA, all the public safety unions have not agreed to that. Um, MEA and uh, ASME have agreed to it. So we already ratify a contract and that contract is only for one year. Uh, so the contract will open up next year with the new council and the new mayor. And uh, I don't know where they'll take the negotiations, but as of right now, we have not come to an agreement with the POA, with the lifeguards and the firefighters. It's still pending. Okay. Okay. And one, but the one, only one that, the, the, the only, the only contract that is being discussed is just one year. And, I, and the only thing that it has is uh, healthcare benefits. Okay, speaking of your council colleagues, you in the budget, even with this deficit, you put aside $15 million for rental assistance. Uh, you know, a lot of us felt it was a little weird to say you can't get evicted, but you have to make up the difference uh, when you do, when that eviction moratorium ends. I guess this is the response to that, at least to some extent, $15 million for rental assistance. But your colleague, Councilman Chris Ward, said uh, we need to allocate more funding to rental assistance, small business assistance. We need uh, federal dollars. I don't think we've gone far enough. This is not the right budget for District 3, and it did not earn my vote do you have a response for him? Um, I welcome my colleague to find a different path to identify more money. Uh, I think, um, was it the perfect budget? No, it wasn't. Um, I, I, we can all say that we all wanted more things, but at the end of the day, we also have to find ways in which we uh, spend, how we, we're going to pay for this, for whatever it is that we want to bring to to the table. and. Uh, He's got every right to say it wasn't perfect for my district, but at the same time, if he's proposing some changes, I mean, he could have proposed some PD cuts if that's what he wanted to do, but I don't remember hearing that from him when he 
suggested to amend the budget, which we ended up amending it based on his recommendations. Um, so if he wants to bring additional changes, that's welcome. And that's welcome from any council member. I mean, the, the purpose of the hearing is for that. And I think there were two, two council members that made amendments to, uh, to actually, no, there were three that wanted to make amendments. It was council Pre uh, president pro tempore and uh, I rejected her amendments. Uh, council member Ward, uh, there were only uh, that the only proposal that he suggested was uh, bringing, um, adding more money to the rent relief and uh, allocating it from a certain pot. So accepted that and also swapping some, some uh, uh, staff, uh, some staffing related to MEA and ASME, which I also accepted. And that was about it. There was nothing else. If he would have brought something else, maybe I would have accepted it, but that's all he, that's all he discussed. And uh, the other one was council member Moreno, which I also accepted. So mm. we have the opportunity. If he thought that we needed to go higher, he could have done that. Uh, we need to do the work as council members. Um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not a council member that likes to um, focus on the headlines that are going to be printed on, on any newscasts. We got to do the work to be able to do that change. Uh, can the rental relief be higher? Yes, we will all want it to be higher, but where does it come from? So as, as, as leaders, we need, to, we need to do a little bit of work to be able to do what we're asking the city to do. I mean, you're saying there that his his claim is kind of hollow. It's a hollow protest without that follow through. Well, all I'm saying is that he's welcome to bring the the the, the suggestions, and I've not seen that. Um, and, uh, and and uh, and and that's that's something that is definitely available to any council member. Um, so if if he wants more money to the rental relief, which I can tell you that there's not a single council member that does not believe that it can go higher, but we, we just don't have the money. Um, so yes, it should be higher because the need is there. Uh, but we're trying to figure out how to make all of it work. Do you think there's a lot of questions here referencing and, and um, you know, uh, Will Rodriguez Kennedy from the Democratic Party also made the same point that this strong mayor form of government is at the heart of the problem here. I've heard other frustrations often from the elite side of things, uh, thinking that the strong mayor form of government hasn't worked out. So just to be clear, used to run the San Diego City Council used to uh, hire a city manager. The mayor used to be a member of the city council. He would preside over the city's council. He would he would do your job and set, essentially set the agenda and things like that. In 2004, the city voted to move to a strong mayor where the mayor would become the chief executive officer of the city, basically be in charge of almost all the city employees. And then the council would act as a sort of Congress on the side. Um, and we called that strong mayor, but it was presented as strong mayor, strong council. Do you think for, fundamentally that that form of government is flawed and, and should be, should we consider as a community a, uh, a, a complete rehabilitation, so, sort of redesign of the, of the system, go back to uh, city council, city manager form of government? Well, all I know is, is this, this form of government. I mean, obviously I was around when we had that other form of government, but it wasn't uh, decision-making. So I couldn't tell you, is that, was that better as an elected than what it is now? I, I don't have that comparison. Um, am I ready to give up on the strong mayor, strong council? No, 
but I what I am ready and um, if I had more time um, not in terms of my term but it's just literally it's just been a busy I, I, I've been really busy um, but one of the things that I really wanted to dig a little bit is what are the what are the things that I can do as a council president to really lift up the importance of the strong council and look at the charter uh, to be able to have that 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 that, that ability to do that um, didn't really have the the ability to to uh, do that just because of the timing but I think there are opportunities to really enhance the strong council form of government along with the mayor and create stronger checks and balances. I don't think we have that as much. Um, and uh, you know what, I need, I, I am definitely open and continuing. I have all the time that you want, but let me give me a second just because I need to plug in my computer or else it's gonna go dark in a second. So hold for a sec, sorry about that. Uh, there's a lot of people who want us to ask you this question. This is from Marco. Uh, we addressed it earlier, uh, this idea of, you know, did you do enough to acknowledge the people who called in that day? Why did you not tell the public your decision was already made on the budget, on the police issue and the police funding when they called in that day? And I, as we talked about earlier, you were talking about how, you know, um, the process works. But I do think it might be worth explaining what was happening at that moment. What was the actual budget decision that you guys were making and, and what had led up to it and why listen to them that long uh, uh, without uh, sort of telling them that that it was kind of I wouldn't say baked but it was in it was in place largely in, in its in its structure well I mean I have to say that it, I mean it, it was play, it, it was it, it was for the most part it was uh, done because you can't just make I mean, in order for us to make any decisions, any changes the day up, you gotta remember there were some changes that were made the day of, uh, but you, all, you also have to figure out how to, if you're adding something, you gotta, how, how are you paying for it, right? That's the homework that we need to do. Uh, there wasn't any council member that was precluded from making any changes to the PD department. We looked at it. I know that Monica and myself looked at it. We spent the weekend on trying to figure that out to bring that amendment, but we just couldn't figure that out, right? And I also, from a, I don't know if anybody else did the outreach to the mayor, but I know that I did. I spoke with them and I said, hey, if there is a path in which we bring amendments to the PD budget, where would you be at? And uh, I was pretty clear he was going to veto it. Um, and then within that, then I have to make another calculation. Do I have the six votes to overwrite that veto? That was not the case, right? But did other, does that preclude any other council members from making any changes? No, it doesn't. So, I mean, the changes that, um, that council member Moreno brought forward, that was the day of. Uh, I, I did not hear until literally um, a few minutes before we were in discussion that that's, her proposal was going to be that and how it was going to be addressed, right? Um, some of the changes that Councilmember Ward brought, I knew of them. Uh, some of them I, I, I knew about it conceptually, but I didn't know how it was going to play out. So that, that was the day of. 
Um, the things that we added, Monica and myself added in terms of the office, in terms of the community fund, in terms of the 1.5 for the um, non-PD outreach program to our unsheltered community members, that we were able to work during the weekend and trying to figure out because it was major, it was more dollars to try to figure out how to reallocate it in various different ways. Um, so we knew that was going to happen already. But outside of that, the other amendments, I did not know until the day of. So things can change. Uh, but once again, one has to do the work to be able to bring those changes forward. Let's step a little bit back from that question. There's a lot of process involved in that. But what we're encountering are thousands, maybe hundreds of people who are newly interested in the budget, may not know the distinction between uh, education systems versus city halls versus the county versus the uh, state and federal government may not know some of uh, how to get involved in this process. You were once an activist. Uh, you were once uh, one of the voices that showed up at city council. Uh, what what would you tell them uh, about uh, uh, about this from a broader perspective rather than the budget process? You know they're shocked. They watched this twelve hours of of anger poured out and nothing happened as far as they're concerned. You know, what do you tell them to, to how to grapple with that? You probably had many of those moments in your own activist career, uh, kind of surprised at, at how that went. How do, you, how do you explain that and tell people to deal with that? Well, I, I want to really encourage people to continue being engaged. The conversation is not done, um, and it won't be done. I mean, we're trying to figure out how to be responsive to what people are saying and genuinely responsive and not just, you know, say, hey, I'm going to vote no, but I knew, you know, it, it's that's not being responsive. So we're working, Monica and I are working really hard and making sure that we can land this conversation in a productive way. Um, and we're doing the work to be able to do that right now. When that's going to happen, I can't tell you at this moment, it's pretty early, but we're trying to figure out, okay, where do we take this conversation and how do we take this conversation? How do we manage it in a way that is going to be productive um, and not just uh, just a, a screaming match type of thing? It's like if we're really serious about committed, uh, committed to make systemic change, then we, we got to be able to figure out how do we how do we manage those conversations? So I really want to invite people to continue engaging because we will have a follow-up to this whole conversation about PD, PD reform and, and transformation. That will happen um, sooner rather than later. And we're trying, trying to talk to my colleague, Monica Montgomery, to figure out what that looks like and when that looks like. I mean, we're bringing on board the, the Citizens Review Initiative, something that I've been supporting since day one. I've been working since day one when Monica came on board to make sure that we laid out a path to actually bring it forward to the council that's coming on June 23rd. That's a big thing that we were able to land to bring it forward for a decision. That's huge. And I want people to participate in that. Um, there will be other reforms related to PD that will be brought to the, the committee um, and their committee is gonna start in July again. So I'm hoping that starting next month, we have a more robust, more active conversation related to accountability and transformation. And I, I really want to encourage people to really continue pushing forward 
Change doesn't happen overnight. As an as a longtime advocate, I've learned that pretty quickly. And now as a, a member of the council, I can tell you that I, I understand what the challenges are. Um, but we need to elect better people that are coming from the community that have that commitment because we got to do the work. And I can tell you that me and Monica are doing the work. We'll continue to do the work. And this conversation is not done. So I really want to invite people to be part of those conversations. Okay, one last one, Andy. Yeah, so uh, the city council and the mayor's office had a, a debate all spring about what they could or could not use this $250 million that they received from the federal government in the CARES Act for. Uh, the federal government had a few uh, different memos that it sent over outlining what was eligible spending and what was not eligible spending for that. Um, the the city council ultimately, or the, the mayor's office ultimately decided and the city council went along with the idea to, to use it, including $42 million for the police department. Uh, that has been uh, one of the many concerns that was raised by activists. A lot of the public commenters uh, specifically took exception to that. Um, and Alyssa Miller here asked, why did the mayor and city council think it was appropriate to allocate CARES Act funding to the police department? Uh, did that Was that something you considered uh, reallocating in any way? We got out. We got to understand the context and this whole this whole budget. When we started the budget conversations, uh, we had a deficit, but the deficit not, was not to the extent that it that it climbed up to be. Um, I think we were when we first uh, saw that budget. I think we were looking at about a 50, 50 million or so deficit. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember it, but it was about about fifty to seventy or something like that. And then COVID came. And they changed the conversation of the budget in a significant way. Uh, we were looking at a deficit about 300, if not plus, million dollars. How that trickled to the budget was major reductions to neighborhood services, uh, such as closing the libraries two days, two full days, closing an entire public library in my district. Uh, cutting services for maintenance of our park and rec department, cutting some programming to the libraries, cutting programs to the rec centers, cutting our tree abatement. And these are little things that people don't, don't get, right? But it also, it's things that the council has been fighting to restore over the years. And I can tell you, since I've been in council, we've been fighting to restore all of that. Um, so we were, and we were looking at terminating over 400 employees from the city of San Diego. That was pretty significant. Um, and and uh, we fought really hard to make sure that that didn't happen. My direction and how this money should have been spent was to really plug the holes to try to prevent all of these different adjustments that were being proposed by the mayor, because that was gonna be pretty significant. It was gonna be a huge hit to our community in terms of uh, just overall the, the neighborhood services that we provide. And uh, a lot of the council felt like that's what we needed to do. Now that's where we started. When we started these conversations, what we ended up with restoration of a lot of these different programs because of the way that we were able to manage that care money. Now, there's gonna be a second wave coming <clears throat> and how we spend that money, I think it's gonna be very important and that is the HEROES Act that is currently being discussed at the federal government, right? That will lead to more money coming to the local government. It's still to be discussed in terms of how much money and still not yet adopted, 
but I have a feeling that it will come. And now the question is, what do we do with the, that money? Um, and I'm trying to get ahead of that conversation because that money should be for our community. It shouldn't be to um, uplift our departments. I think we're good now. That has to that we're, we're good in where we are. Um, so there are other needs that we have to also address, such as the impact to our unemployment, such as the rent relief and making sure that people are not getting evicted. So for me, that money, um, I will, I'm going to call out for that money to be placed in, in our community's hands um, because I think that's an opportunity to do so. Okay, let me just, I want to uh, follow up real quick. You, the, the federal government's guidance on what was allowed to be used for CARES Act funding um, started out very vague and it got a little bit more clear over time. Uh, one of the very the things that they called out specifically from the beginning and said you definitely can use this money for is uh, police and first responders and anything that they did that um, they wouldn't have normally done that was done because of COVID-19. So it was specifically said you can use this for police funding. But there were other things that were itemized as well. Um, they said you could create a, a grant program for small businesses to keep them from going out of business. Um, you know, th looking at that $42 million that went to police, did you ever consider uh, whether that money would be better spent uh, giving direct COVID-19 relief to, say, small businesses or anything else? I, I, I think the, the concern from uh, the commenters uh, on Monday night and right now is um, that that essentially wasn't the best use for COVID-19 relief. How, how do you respond to that? Well, I, my, my response is, um, could we have done better for a rent relief? Yeah, we can. Uh, could we have been doing better to increase the amount to the small businesses? Yes, we can. Uh, but what does that mean? That meant that we would have had to really uh, readjust the neighborhood services, which I think they're really vital and critical. So we needed to make that judgment and that management so we were able to do both, right? Um, it's not just about the money that was allocated to PD, because if we wouldn't have done that to PD, then that money comes from the general fund. If we were to reallocate that general fund money, then that comes from different programming that we're trying to restore. So we did the best that we could. Um, like I said, there's more money that hopefully will be coming, and that money should be reallocated to the community. At this moment, we were trying to plug holes um, and there were some major holes in our budget uh, that we needed to restore. Um, and we're, we're also trying to do as much as possible to support the community that is going through a tough time um, that are not employed or they're not getting their unemployment because that's, that's not, uh, they're still behind and whatnot. So we're trying to do as much as possible. And the fact of the matter is that we do have a rent relief program that is still yet to be in, 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 in operating. It's not operating yet. We do have a bigger amount that was allocated for business relief. We just got adopted on Tuesday. Uh, we added $12 million, a little bit more than 12, but that's significant. Um, and, uh, and we're hoping to do more, but as, as things, I mean, we gotta manage both, right? The operation side of the city, and then these different programs that because of COVID, we need to respond. Okay, thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast. Wow, that was the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in my kitchen and then live streamed at the same time on Facebook and YouTube. 
uh, and in Sarah and Andy's bedrooms. We have a lot, obviously, to discuss each week. And if you're a politics nerd, keep up with everything with our Politics Report newsletter. Andy and I put that together every week. It comes out Saturday mornings. And Sarah rounds up the week every Sunday with her newsletter, What We Learned This Week. Subscribe to those at voiceofsandiego.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. Andrew Keats is Assistant Editor. Sarah Libby is Managing Editor. And this show was produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.